Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Very excited to bring to you today a friend of mine, and we go back a number of years, uh, Ken Coleman has been with the Dave Ramsey organization for the past five years, and he has been moving mountains over there. You've heard me, some of you, on his Entree Leadership podcast, where they help entrepreneurs achieve the next level of success. And then Ken branched out under Dave's umbrella here with the Ken Coleman Show, and it's just doing awesome. And it's really now Ken's passion here is helping people discover what they were born to do, what Ken calls your sweet spot. He just came out with a brand new book called The Proximity Principle. I'm holding The Proximity Principle in my hot little hand. Ken, I love the cover of this book, by the way. It's kind of a nice feel to it. Welcome to the show. Delighted to have you on to talk about this. Well, it's always good to hang out with you, Brian, and your leadership team, and uh, love your show. And I just love that Irish music. i got to tell you, <laughs> I need to maybe co-opt a song like that for my show, because it just it gives me some juice, man. I really love it. Well, you know, you're down in Tennessee, and Tennessee step dancing, that came from Irish music. That's where all that stuff came from. Any good country and western song is just a slightly less depressed Irishman. That's what it is, right? True. I love that. <laughs> Well, listen, I want to dive right in here today. We've had you on the show before, and I just really want to dive into the proximity principle. It's some great stuff because the surveys are everywhere to say that most people are going to work every day and they don't love what they do. In fact, most people kind of hate what they do, resent what they do, find no joy in it, and it's I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. So you're taking on a subject. It's almost like taking on a mountain. You know, it's such a huge topic. But the proximity principle is all about this. It's proven strategies that lead you to the career you love. I'd love you to dive into that for us here today. What's fun about this conversation for me today is because you really live this. When I met you years ago, I didn't even have this principle. It hadn't come to me yet. Hmm. But this is a tried and true process that men and women throughout history have used. And you, more so than anybody I know, live this out with your story. And your audience knows your story so well. I mean, how does a young Irishman come to America with nothing and nobody and rise to the levels? And it was using the proximity principle, which simply says, in order to do what you want to do, you've got to be around people that are doing it and in places where it is happening. Mm. What we're talking about here is just hey, if I know I want to get in real estate or I know I want to get into medicine or I want to be a teacher or I want to be a coach or I want to be a financial advisor, uh, the best way for me to move forward in that career and keep advancing is by constantly putting myself around the right people in the right places. So the formula that the proximity principle provides people is the right people plus the right places equals Mm. opportunity. Love that. I know this. If you and I are sitting around and somebody comes up to us and they come up to us after an event and say, hey, appreciate what you said. I need your help. need your advice. I just can't catch a break. I feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but I can't catch a break, can't get an opportunity. You and I instinctively are going to go right into this question process of finding out where are they putting themselves? Who are the people they're putting themselves around? Because here's what I know, Brian. If I'm around the right people and I'm in the right places, all i got to do is stay there, keep getting in those places, keep getting around those people, and opportunity mm-hmm. find me. It's not the other way around. Right. If you're out looking for opportunity, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not practicing this beautiful 
simple principle. Right. And so this is how people get from where they are to where they want to be. So proximity positions me where I need to be. Mm. Okay, this is where I'm early in the journey, okay, or in a place of starting or I need to grow. So proximity puts me where I need to be, and then it propels me where I want to be. This yeah. is not a one-time deal. This is a rinse and repeat, a habitual sure. activity. You know, it's interesting. I wasn't planning on talking real estate stories today, but when you're talking like this, one vivid memory comes to my mind, which was I served a lot of people in the church I went to. So I'd have young families that, you know, had more kids and needed to move up. So they bought a first-time buyer home, and they needed to buy the next home. I'd help them sell that home and buy up. And that was kind of my routine. So one day, a fellow I worked with for years refers me to his boss, and his boss is buying a home in Rancho Santa Fe. Now, my average sales price is about two hundred fifty grand. This guy's got a $4 million down payment. And I'm sweating bullets and this and that, and it brought up all kinds of insecurities. You know, I'm walking through these houses, and the only time I was ever in a big house in my life was to move the furniture and paint it. <laughs> so I'm going through all this, and then we end up buying this very expensive home, and I go through the negotiation, and I was like, I wasn't that impressed with the realtor. Well, then he refers me to another buddy of his, actually his CFO, and I go on the caravans, and now I'm interacting with these six and seven, eight million dollar homes. I'm a 250 guy, and I'm like, I had built these people up to be, they're high society folks, they eat, you know, frog's legs for breakfast and caviar for lunch, and I'm a son of a house painter, and all of a sudden it was like, hang on a second here, I can hang. And then it went from I can hang to I can do pretty well here. And the next thing you know, these people, some of these folks just decided that was the arena they were going to be in. And it's like the koi fish, right? You put a koi fish in a small pond, it stays small. You put it in a large pond, it grows much larger. And so I think the proximity principle, I'll tell you what I thought. I'm going to give you some feedback no one's given you. I love it. When I read this book, the thought that came to my mind was Acres of Diamonds and Russell Conwell. And he said, the gold is right underneath your feet. And I look at this and I go... There's relationships that people know, and you talk about this. You have a wonderful outline for your book just as far as you know, professionals and professors and mentors and your peers, and then moving beyond it to who are the people who are producing and looking beyond who you know to who they know. And all of a sudden, just putting yourself in that environment, being like the koi fish, getting in a bigger pond, next thing you know, you grow. That's exactly right. There's so much intentionality here. You know, I love that you mentioned the Acres of Diamonds because the first place we talk about in the book, I know I'm jumping ahead, but yeah. we talk about where you are. Right. Ryan, I have people that call my show every day and they say, hey, Ken, I know what I want to do, but I don't know how to get there. Mm. And many times as I'm asking them questions to find out where they really are, they're overlooking in their zip code is everything they need to get started. They mm-hmm. think I've got to move to Los Angeles. I had a guy call in about two months ago, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And the guy says, Ken, I know exactly what I want to do, but I just don't think I can get there. I need your help. I said, well, what is it you want to do? He says, I want to be in video production. I've always wanted to produce hmm. small films, videos, corporate videos, all that kind of stuff. And I said, can I ask you a question? How many production companies do you think are in Charlotte, North Carolina? Hmm. started laughing because he knew what I had just done. I'd put him in a corner. Mm-hmm. He thought he had to move to L.A. or New right. York wasn't a reality with four kids and a mortgage and everything else. Yep. And I said, and he said, well, it's probably, there's probably a couple dozen. I go, you're exactly right. right. I started teaching the proximity principle. This was, you know, this is before the book's even out there. And I said, what you've got to do is start hanging around people that are in video production in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
That guy emailed me back six weeks later, and he had a job in video production, sure. making more money than he had ever made before. And so I call that the law of the zip code. Mm. So the law of the zip code says that everything you need to get started, Brian, is yeah. already around you. That's yep. what you're talking about. Yep, acres of diamonds right underneath your nose. You know, my kids are big Star Wars buffs, and they're getting ready for the movie coming out. We had a conversation last night. And uh, I said, you know, my middle son, Adam, I said, Luke Skywalker wanted to be a Jedi, and he thought he had to go to faraway planets. And the first time he's introduced to the guy who's going to be his mentor, it's old Ben. You mean old Ben Kenobi? And he was right underneath his nose. I'd love you to talk about this for a second, but this dynamic, because I really feel there's this great hunger for people for mentorship. Yes. How big of a role does mentorship play in the proximity principle? Well, clearly I outlined five people in the book, and I thought that this person was very important. And I want to point out to your listeners and to potential readers, mm -hmm. that these places and people that I outlined in the book, Brian, they're from my journey. So mm -hmm. I, people really exist. And the mentor was huge for me, primarily because when you're on the hustle and you're going for it, there are going to be multiple times in a week and in a month and in a year where you need to get some wisdom and you need to get some perspective. And those are very different things. What I mean by wisdom is, you know, you've got some forked in the road decisions or you've got to make some decisions on where I'm spending my time. Should I connect with this person? Is this the right usage of my skill set? You know, whatever it is that you're going through and you're going, okay, I've got some questions. And you need to be able to sit with somebody that you trust and that you respect. And the mentor is the person that has those two key components. You trust them and you respect them. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows truth to really get through sometimes when we can't see, you know, two inches in front of our face. And you need somebody like a mentor who has the wisdom. They can give you perspective mm -hmm. and they can give you actual wise counsel. They help you see what you can't see. Hey, I remember Brian calling one of my mentors about three or four years into the journey of chasing broadcasting, I had my own business, mm -hmm. and I was making enough to take care of the family, but I was definitely pursuing the dream job, and I was in a season of rejection and a season of doubt. I had been rejected on a few things, and so as a result of the rejection, I was facing doubt, and I had to call one of my mentors, Don, in Houston, Texas one day, and I was in the driveway, and I hadn't even gone inside to see Station Me Kids, and I called him, and I was on the verge of tears, mm -hmm. and I said, Don... He answered the phone. I said, buddy, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I need you right now. And he could hear the emotion of my voice. And this is a man who knows me, loves me, and he knows I respect him. I heard him. He, he changed everything. He said, what's going on? And I said, I just feel like I'm wasting my time, and I feel like maybe I'm delusional. And I need to know. Tell me the truth, bro. Am I delusional, or is this something that's in my sweet spot? Is this something I'm called to do? And you know what? It was so great, Brian, because I was able to be so vulnerable and so weak and in that moment, you know, I won't share the rest of the story, but he just did two things. Number one, he comforted me. Mm -hmm. And then number two, he assured me. Mm. He comforted me. He, he spoke to my emotion that I was feeling. He says, it's very normal. You're not wacky. This is great. I'm glad you called me. This is all real. This is the enemy attacking you. And, and so this is all real, brother. And then he said, let me assure you, you absolutely have what it takes. You're doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. Stay in the game. Don't you dare quit. And I will look back to that day, probably on my deathbed, mm. as a moment in my life mm. where I had a mentor who kept me on the path. Mm. But I'm telling you, Brian, you've been there. There are times where quitting seems like the only thing to do. It seems like the smartest thing to do. Right. 
couldn't be any further from the truth. So you need a mentor for those moments, the moments when you can't be vulnerable with anybody else, the moments when you can't be strong, you can't right. be Mr. Motivational Guy or Girl and believe in yourself. you just got to be gut-level honest. That's why you really need the mentor. Yeah. Two things you bring up to my mind here. You know, the career that you love. I've seen both sides of this. First of all, you had the wisdom to call a trusted source. Second of all, you asked them the big questions. Okay? So one, here's what I'm experiencing. And then secondly, do I have what it takes? And so you got comfort and you got assurance. So first of all, you put yourself out there to get the feedback. Here's the flip side of this, because I want to get down the path on finding the career you love. I've had people who've come to me and said they want to be a public speaker. And they work hard at it. They work at it hours and hours, and they do this and they do that. But they don't have it. That's right. Like, they love the idea of it. They identify with it. But they don't have the juice. That's it. And, you know, on one hand, I've encouraged people to try and give it a shot. And, you know, you got to find out what you do sometimes by finding out what you don't. What's your advice for someone in that spot? You know, where do you know the difference between, okay, I'm giving up because I'm facing a little rejection, which is... You know, that's just the beginning point of entry into the game to you don't have the juice. Yeah, that's a really great point. So this is where we talk about the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. This is my entire methodology. So in that situation, you've got to make sure that you have the talent to pull it off. And then you've got to make sure that you have the passion to stay with it. So Mm. talent's not enough. Right. To have the passion to really stick with it. So let's take this example. Somebody comes to you and says, Brian, I want to be a public speaker. Well, the first thing I'm going to tell them is, you need to go out and start speaking. Right. See if anybody wants you back. Right. You know? Yeah. And how about go and speak in some places where you got the guts to say, hey, uh, I want you to honestly assess me. And when I say honestly, I mean, tell me. Sure. And so I'm going to point a person in that direction because we want to see, do you have the talent? Now, if you've got the talent, well, we can turn talent into skill. Yeah. We can own talent. Brian Buffini, young Brian Buffini, had the core communication talent. God gave you mm-hmm. the ability to communicate as, let's just picture that as just this piece of clay, a big hunk of clay. That's Brian's ability to communicate. God gave you that. Over the years, you have, like the potter does, taken that big clump, right? And you've gotten both hands around it. You've added some water. Had a few lumps knocked off it. <laughs> Ugly pieces that we never show anybody. My first radio show, hello, come on. Some of my first talks, they are relegated to a, a woodshed that nobody knows where it is. But what's happened is over time, if you can picture that potter molding that clay, and what happens is this big clump of clay turns into this beautiful shiny, highly functional piece of pottery, and so we can take talent and turn it into a skill. So in this situation, if they've got the talent, I go, great. Now it's just getting out there and taking the licks, you know, cuts at the plate, if yep. you will, and you're going to hone it. Now, you've got to have a passion, though. So why passion is so important is if you've got the talent, and so you know you're good at something, but you don't long for it, you don't desire to do it, then when you get rejected or criticized – or overlook, you won't stay with it, Brian. Mm. You know, what I love about the word passion is that it comes from the Greek word, and it's about suffering. Mm-hmm. Paseo. Suffer. If you're willing to suffer rejection and suffer being overlooked, if you're willing to suffer failure in order to do it, then, brother, you, sister, you've got the passion. So we look at talent and passion. It's got to intersect. Mm-hmm. If they don't have the talent to be a public speaker, I want to dive in there and say, all right, 
You may not have the juice or the ability to be a public speaker where you're paid thousands upon thousands of dollars and large people hear you and they apply. You might be better at being a counselor. Maybe you're better at teaching in a smaller classroom. We want to find out where the passion to speak and communicate. Okay, we know that's there, but where does it align with what you're actually talented at? And so the person who may want to be a public speaker may be better served being a one-on-one guidance counselor. I don't know, but we have to walk through that process. But that's what the sweet spot is. You use what you do best Mm -hmm. to do what you love to do most. Yeah, and see what the market says about it, right? And then, like I say, sometimes you find out it's not your vocation, it's your avocation, right? It's not what you're going to do for a living. It might be your hobby. You want to speak and present, you might be teaching at children's camps or Sunday school or something like that. You know, I guys, I love golf, I love golf. Well, maybe that's going to be your hobby or your retirement, that kind of thing. Let's say we're starting with a clean slate. Let's say we had 50,000 millennials tuning in today. They've graduated from college. They've got some student loans. They uh, did some stuff in school, nothing which inspired them into what they're going to do now. And they got a job. They're waiting tables. They're working at Nectar, pouring juice. They're working at Jamba Juice. They're at a barista in a Starbucks. They're doing whatever. How would you help that person start the journey using the proximity principle to find their passion and their sweet spot? Well, the proximity principle comes into play after we've gotten the discovery. So sure. what we just talked about is the sweet spot process, and you really begin to see, okay, yeah. what are the multiple things that I want to do? Now we use the proximity principle to get there. Mm-hmm. When somebody identifies their Mount Everest, it's still scary as all get out because you can see and we get excited about that. And we go, boy, that's the dream job. And, man, if I had that, that'd be great. And then all of a sudden we take our eyes off of that summit and we kind of scan down the mountain and we look to the reality of now i got to scale this bad boy. And mm-hmm. that's when we get scared, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we begin to face fear and doubt. Those are two evil cousins. And so the proximity principle helps us with fear and doubt. And what it does is it becomes the engine by which we constantly are getting clarity so that we can confidently step out and courageously stay on the path. So let me Mm. break that. Mm -hmm. Tell that young person, okay, let's get a real sense of what it is you want to do. And then let's, before we strike out, if I was going to go climb a mountain with you, Brian, I called you up and said, hey, let's go scale a mountain. The first thing you'd say to me is, oh, my gosh, how much time am I going to have to commit to that venture? That's the first thing you'd say because it's, well, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to get trained for this physically. I'm going to have to learn how to climb. So the first thing is, is if we know the mountain we want to climb, the first thing we got to look at is what do I need to learn, what do I need to know to be able to scale the mountain? That's the first question, okay? Then the second question is, well, how much is that going to cost me? Now, there's a two-part cost, time and money, all right? So how much is this going to cost me with my time and money? I've got this barista job. So I've got to make X amount of dollars to pay the bills. So that leaves me X amount of hours throughout the rest of the week, weeknights, or whatever your schedule is, and weekends. So how much time is it going to take me to learn what I need to learn? Now, use my example so listeners can follow along. Here I am. I've got a, a company that sells sponsorship to live events. I've got a wife and three kids, and I know I want to go into broadcasting. I'm absolutely certain. But I've got to figure out how to do this. Well, what do I need to learn? I need to learn the fundamentals of broadcasting. I didn't go to school for it. Still don't have my degree, by the way. And so i got to learn the fundamentals of broadcasting. So I started looking. Who can teach me? And so I look up multiple broadcasting schools in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I go, okay, these are the places that can teach me. How long are the programs? That's how much time it's going to take. These are six-week, eight-week, ten-week programs. How much are those going to cost me financially? By getting the answers to those basic questions, what do I need to know? That's what I need to learn. And then how much is it going to cost me? 
time and money. I've got myself a plan. Mm. I've got details. Now I'm not so intimidated. Now I go, oh, okay. So what is it going to take for me to sign up for this class? Am I going to have to save money to be able to do that? So that's going to put me out two months. All of a sudden we begin to see, okay, these are the next steps. And so what I want to do next is, is be also thinking through, all right, who else do I need to know and where else do I need to be? So the broadcasting class for me was a place to learn. And we walk you through in the book the five people in the five places. But what we're doing here is, is we're saying, all right, even though I'm in a season of I'm in the place where I am, that's where I'm starting, I don't have to move anywhere, I'm constantly saying, all right, who can I talk to that's a producer in television? Or who can I talk to that's actually on air in Atlanta? So I began to meet guys that were on talk radio, television. I sat down and had coffees, lunches. I interned Brian with the ESPN radio affiliate three days a week because I owned my own business so I could set my schedule. Hmm. And I did, are you ready for this? I screened phone calls and got Sprite and water, did internet research three hours a day, three days a week. Wow. That was what I could commit to. I could do those hours. And through those relationships, I got on the air with those guys. They introduced me to some TV guys. And again, every time that I had progress, it was because I was in proximity to somebody who was doing what I wanted to do mm. and in places where broadcasting was happening so that I was constantly observing, learning, connecting, doing, that kind of thing. And so that's what I would tell somebody. This is what proximity does for me. It allows me to learn, do, and connect. Nice. That's great. Learn, do, connect. I love that. If I'm learning and then taking what I'm learning and doing, and then I'm always connecting, this proximity principle, the right people plus the right places, this is where the formula becomes really simple. Right people plus right places equals opportunity. So I gave it to you real quick, but that's what I tell a young person. Don't freak out. Don't make this thing bigger than it is. This is going to be climbing up a mountain, and we're going to take time to climb up the mountain, and we got to learn before we can climb, and we got to we got to meet with people who are going to train us, and we got to do so much before we ever really, truly start seeing progress. Well, this is what people miss, right? Because they're looking for the magic potion, looking for the overnight success. Success leaves clues, and the day you got the call from Dave Ramsey, you would put all this time in. You'd put all this effort in. You were doggone good the first day he called you because you'd done all the rough work. That's why he saw the talent in you. You know, you came out day one, and I remember saying to our mutual friend Bill Hampton, where'd this guy come from? Because you'd done all this work ahead of time. And then from that day to the next five years, you know, how you present and do your shows today and whatever else is a whole way different level than when you first started, right? That's right. It'd be hard to explain to somebody. And that's really that success leaves clues, and people miss those clues, right? It comes dressed in overalls, looks like work. I'm willing to do water and coffee at ESPN and Sprite or whatever's needed to be in the proximity of it, to be in the game of it. Then you get a shot. Then you get a voiceover. Then you get this. Then you get that. Away you go. Well, we all know the old phrase. It's attributed to some New Jersey union workers. That's what I've been able to find on the Internet. The old phrase, it's not what you know, it's... Who you know, right. You know, and so it, what we've done here is we've really taken this a whole lot deeper, and it's way more intentional than that. But when I am around the right people, they are going to teach me and tell me from their journey, from their personal connections... Here's who you need to know. This is what you need to learn. This is what you need to do. And they're also going to open up doors for me to step into the right places. Then when I step into the right places, guess what? I'm going to meet more of the right people. And so as I'm doing all of this, to your point about my career, Dave Ramsey was watching me, and I didn't know he was watching me. Sure. I started out doing the Catalyst Leadership Podcast when nobody had ever heard of podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I went to some buddies 
You ready? People you know, right? I went to some peers and I said, podcasting's this new thing. I read about it in Fast Company. I think we ought to be doing it. And they went, well, it's a Fast Company article. It can't be. Let's try it. What is it going to take? And I go, I'll do it for free. And I'll interview church leaders and let's just glean wisdom from them and put it out. And the thing became a huge deal. That's where I started. Mm. But I was in a four-foot by four-foot sound booth with no air conditioning, sweating through my clothes, you know, like I was in a greenhouse on an August day in Tennessee. <laughs> and it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't good. But you know what? It was experience. And I was learning, doing, and connecting. And years later, I crafted this image of a pretty darn good interviewer. But it started by just where I was locally, you know, this idea of the law of the zip code, where could I start broadcasting where I'm at? I knew these guys at a leadership conference, and I talked them into doing it. Right. And that's the beginning. Uh, the very first time I did anything live, Brian, was in this broadcasting school doing football play-by-play on the Internet. Two people were listening. The kid next to me, wife at home because she's a good woman. <laughs> I mean, I prepared for it like I was Jim Nance calling the Super Bowl. Mm. Back to those days, to your point, Here's what I want people to hear. Number one, I've practiced this. This is not a motivational book. Brian, you've read it. Sure. This is as practical as it gets. Mm-hmm. And it took me from the moment that I started telling my wife that I feel like this is the direction God has for me, and I think it might take five to seven years. You ready for this? The day that Dave hired me was seven and a half years. Wow. I still, as you know, Brian, was in a different capacity than I am now. Yeah. And I paid my dues for three years here. And so, you know, this proximity principle, I don't care if you're a starter or a career switcher or if you're listening, you're going, well, Brian, Ken, I'm very successful right now in my industry. Well, I have a question for you. Are you satisfied? Mm-hmm. You arrived? Because I think Brian would tell you no. Mm-hmm. And so you can still use the proximity principle to grow your business, to grow your team. This is a principle that the men and women who are on purpose and successful, they are constantly looking for the right people in the right places to hang around. 100%. Coach K does, the legendary Duke coach. He told me every offseason, Brian, he calls three or four young coaches that he has kind of seen over the course of the season that he admires and he likes what they're doing. He calls them up out of the blue and shocks their socks off and says, hey, I'd like to uh, come fly in and hang out with you for a couple hours and learn about your zone defense or or how you're recruiting or your offense. I saw it in a game. You know, these are the greats, and they're still putting themselves yeah. in proximity to other people. Well, you know, my brother Dermot is a great networker, and he introduced me to a guy here recently who's he's the 10th highest-paid CEO in America. And so yep. we went and had lunch. And the guy made this offhanded comment on this one different business idea, and I started digging in, and I called him up. We had another conversation, and then I applied it into my own company. And I am like having like revelatory experiences with my own business that I've run for 23 years because I went to the next level with someone who was one phone call away from my own brother. And it'll impact about a third of the size of Buffini Company in the next 12 months. Well, this is an example of the producer. So we write about this person in the book, producer. And this is being intentional to get around other high performers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to be in your industry. But, you know, you're wanting to sit down with them and go to school. Who doesn't want to talk about themselves. They're going to say yes. And you show up with a pad of paper and a pen, and you ask them best practices, how they're learning and growing, and you're going to walk away with gold. Brian, my favorite story about the value of being in proximity to other producers are two of the greatest writers in the history of literacy. 
and that's C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And many people have read about them. They're called the Inklings. But the story goes, and this is all true, that Tolkien was younger than Lewis and had a chance meeting with him and was blown away and revered him. Kind of like when I met you. I was like, i got to hang out with Brian <laughs> Buffini. And so he shows up. C.S. Lewis is a college professor. And Tolkien knocks on his office door one Monday morning, Brian, and he opens the door and he's got beer. And he said, I just wanted to come hang out with you. That Monday morning meeting became a tradition where mm-hmm. the two of them would have beer and talk, and they would exchange notes. They would sometimes just laugh and just fellowship and lift each other. And then, that's the best part of it. This is where this idea of being in proximity to high producers yields incredible, incredible results. It went from a Monday morning meeting, they decided to expand it to other poets and other people of you know great talent. And it became a Thursday night thing. They would meet at around 9 o'clock at Lewis's house. All these talented people would come together, and there would be beer and pipes and cigars. And they'd all get around in a circle, and Lewis would kick off the meeting, and he'd say, all right, who's got something they want to share? And it was in these meetings, in these meetings, that Tolkien brought The Hobbit in its <laughs> first form. Can you imagine, like, this idea, he would read chapters of The Hobbit, and they would like it or hate it and tear it apart. It's mind-boggling when you think that the works that came out of this group of people, and by the way, go do the research, people, for sake of time, I won't tell you the rest of it, but just search the inklings. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you were this intentional in your life, to have a Thursday night meeting once a month with sure. other high producers, and, yeah. and think of how much better you would be, how much better they would be. There's something to this, Brian, and again, oh. I wish I could say the proximity principle was the formula cold fusion. It's not. I just came up with some different wording. Sure. A truth that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. But that's my favorite example. Yeah, well, I'm reminded of the Steven Spielberg documentary that came out last year, and he had the exact same thing. And he had, you know, Ron Howard, and he had George Lucas and Scorsese. All these guys were hanging out together, beating each other around, and, you know, Lucas comes out and shows Star Wars, and they just pump holes into it. And the one guy goes, I have no idea what this is about. You should at least tell people what's going on and scroll at the beginning of the movie. You know what I'm saying? And again... You can't have community without proximity, and I don't think you're going to have breakthrough without the proximity. A couple of things I want to point out at this time. We've always made a commitment on this show to bring people who've been there and done that. And you mentioned a couple of things today I think that are very, very important to bring up. You said these mentors in the book actually existed. Now, the reason you say that, which our audience might not be aware of, is a whole bunch of books are written today, especially on the whole mentor thing, and it's all these fabled invented people and what it does it creates this dynamic of creating the fabled mentor i love the fact that you're actually talking about been there done that these are real life people this is what mentoring actually looks like as opposed to some fanciful thing the next thing is the proximity principle is full of how to's we're all mindset motivation and then it's methodologies and in the short time we have left i'm going to get you to give me one tip for each of four chapters in the book i particularly like okay so you said a place to learn a place to practice, a place to perform, and a place to grow. We've kind of talked about your journey and how you hit all four of those. What would be something you would give someone who's trying to find their passion? What would be something that you'd help somebody with, with a place to learn, a place to practice, a place to perform, and a place to grow? Okay, so a place to learn is, look, you've got to put yourself in a situation where somebody who actually knows a good bit about the craft or the space you want to be in You want to put yourself in a situation where you're truly learning the fundamentals. I mean, just the fundamentals of the role. So, again, whether it's medicine or it's media or whatever, you've got to make sure that you're learning from people 
who are really, really gifted at teaching. Now, it doesn't always have to be actually a college professor. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the place to learn for me was a broadcasting school where I learned how to actually talk on a mic, how to project my voice, how to edit, do all those kinds of things. So in a place to learn, this is where you're going to get an edge because you've learned something that you know you need to know that you currently don't have. Mm-hmm. That's pretty simple. Now, this is fun. A place to practice. Let's move through this. A place to practice, Brian, is the low-risk doing, okay? Again, this is easier for the young kid who's come out of college who mm-hmm. might be able to hang out with mom and dad for six months. But this is all about the interning. This is the example I gave earlier where I was at the radio station. And I was in a situation where I was able to do some things off-air that led me to do things on-air, but it wasn't for any kind of money. It was like an internship. So a place to practice is where it's low-risk opportunity to do. I'm doing, but there's not a 1,000 people. So if you want to be a speaker, then go volunteer to speak to a couple of high school classes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or... Sure. or Toastmasters. So what, find some place where they let you talk. Yeah, and the point is, you're not doing it for money. So if you stink or if you fail, it's not a big impact. This is, I'm, I need to get some practice. By the way, you, you are know, going to stink. <laughs> I don't care if you're God's gift. Tiger Woods did not hit his first drive 320 yards. I'm in the driving range. Yeah. Right? I'm not out with my buddies. I'm in the driving range. I'm practicing. It's low risk. But I'm getting the opportunity to actually do the craft. A place to perform. Now, now we're stepping up. A place to perform is now we've got pressure involved. This is where we want you to be paid to do this. I don't care if it's a lot, but we're adding expectation here, Brian. Mm. This is where there is some audience, whether it's a boss, right, or an actual customer or a patient or whatever. This is what they do with med school, right? There's all this Mm -hmm. learning, and then we're going to do the practicing, and then at some point you're jumping in on the surgery, and you've got to perform. The pressure's on. This is where, by the way, we get the exhilaration. This mm. is where we've, we've led to this moment, and now we're getting a taste of doing the real thing mm-hmm. when it counts, because there's something about the human psyche. When there's expectations, a paying audience, a customer, expectations go up in our minds, their minds, and so now there's some pressure there, and we want that pressure. We want to perform, because we want to get clarity. Again, confirmation here that, yes, this was worth throwing up in the trash can right before I went out there. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. And then finally, a place to grow. This is after we've now entered into our industry, we've entered into the role, and we're doing a good job. We've gotten all the confirmation that this is in my sweet spot, I've got the talent, I've got the passion, I've got an entry level. Now this is about moving up the ladder. So a place to grow is for people who are in their industry, uh, but they want to keep moving up the ladder. And so what we're looking for here is you might take a job right out of college, Brian, or if you're in a career switching situation, you might take an initial job that is not the right place long-term, but it's the right place right now because it's allowing you that place to perform. But then after we've proven ourselves, now we want to find the environment like a Ramsey Solutions or Buffini companies where there is a proven track record of promoting people from within. Mm. So I want to be in a place, Brian, I like to say it, where there's ladders. Mm. We as human beings all want to progress. You know, we, we all want to make progress. And so if I want to advance in my career, I need to be in an environment, whether, again, it's my own company or I'm working for somebody else, where there is an opportunity for me to advance up the ladder. That's what I mean by a place to grow. Yeah. And uh, if you're looking for that where there's a culture where they'll train you and they'll give you a chance, and if you do a great job, they'll look for an opportunity to promote you. That's what I mean by a place to grow. Brilliant, brilliant. The man knows his stuff backwards and forwards. This is great stuff. I have two pages of notes here and a bunch more. I want to add one thing to your ladder there. 
which is as an employer of hundreds of people, one of the things I'm watching with younger folks is they love the ladder and they want to take the next step on the rung every hour of every day without paying the price. And, you know, you've got to be valuable at each step along the way. You've got to master that one step before you get the two. And I'm seeing young folks, actually, I, I'm witnessing some younger folks losing their opportunity because they become dissatisfied in the job they're in where it's naturally leading to the next step. So it's fantastic. You just have to understand you're growing trees. You can't make them happen overnight. Let me give you three things there, and this is for leaders who are leading these millennials that Brian's talking about, and then those of you who are millennials and you're going, I want to move up next week. There's three things you've got to do in the now in order for there to be a next. And as I say this, leaders, you've got to teach this to your young people because they need leadership or they're going to leave you. Here are three things that every young person's got to do, Brian, before there's a chance to move to the next rung. Number one, you've got to know your role. This is clarity. Mm-hmm. You've got to make sure that when you come into a job that you and your leader are on the same page. They can't be thinking one thing and you'd be thinking the next. Here at Ramsey Solutions, we call this key responsibility areas. Everybody gets a one page, and this is so that everybody's clear on what a win looks like in your role. This mm-hmm. is what this organization needs you to do. There is no next, Brian, if we don't win in the now. So it starts with clarity. Know your role. Second thing, accept your role. Mm. I'm going to say millennial toes right now, but I was once that age. You want everything to happen now, now, now. You want to advance, advance, advance. And if you're not careful, you can know your role and be clear, but not accept your role. Mm. It's an attitude. I'm going to accept my role. This is There is no next if I don't prove sure. that I win in the now. There is no next until I win right now. So I know what's expected of me. That's clarity. Now I've got to accept it and be grateful for this rung of the ladder because if I'm not on this rung of the ladder, I can't get to the next rung of the ladder. The third and final thing is maximize your role. You can speed up the process, young leaders. You can give them a path where they can speed up the process only if they do it in that sequence. They're clear, they're humble, and they accept the role, and they're going to win in that role, but then they go beyond that key responsibility area. They're looking to teammates. They're looking to step above and beyond what we said is a win, and they're doing more. They're delivering extra value. That's maximizing your role. Know your role. Accept your role. Maximize your role. If you do that, you won't ever have to worry about being promoted. And if you are in a situation where you're doing those three things, you're not being promoted, i got news for you. You're in a really bad culture. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, we are just warming you up here, Coleman. I should get you going for another hour and a half. You have just great stuff here. I'm actually going to share with you the highest compliment I can pay is my kids are part of a high school. they got a bunch of friends graduate. I don't do really any talks outside of a feeding company anymore. We get thousands of requests. You know, it's funny. I used to love those things, and, but there's just too many. But I'm going to do this deal for a bunch of graduating high school seniors, and I've ordered 120 copies of the book, and I'm going to get these kids into a classroom, not in an auditorium. I don't want to do the commencement address. They've asked me to do it, but I want to meet with them. I want to meet with them for an hour and a half. And then I'm going to give them a copy of your book, and I'm going to share with them, hey, while you're grinding, while you're studying, while you're doing, keep your eye on the prize. And that's the highest compliment I can pay you. I love your stuff. I love who you are. I love what you bring to the table. This is an excellent book. It's full of not only the mindset, not only the motivations, but ultimately a ton of methodologies. If you don't love the career you're in, how to improve it, change it, and get to the right spot. How to have a transition strategy. And if you're just starting out, how to get on the right track. It's a great work. You're doing great work. The Ken Coleman Show, you've got to be very satisfied. You've got to be getting great feedback. I've had a chance to listen in. You're really helping some folks and changing some lives, just like that guy in North Carolina. You're doing it on a grand scale. 
we're proud to have you, proud of our association, and love to have you back because I feel like we're only getting you warmed up here today, brother. But great stuff. Thanks so much for your time, and thanks for introducing us to the proximity principle. And I hope that a whole bunch of folks will uh, find out how to find the career that they love. So thanks for being with us today. Listen, thank you for buying the book for the seniors. That's a dream come true for young people to grab this early on. So I'm, I'm humbled, grateful to be with you. I talk about you almost weekly because I tell people who want to get into real estate, <laughs> go absorb everything Brian's doing and figure it out. Because if you do what he tells you, you're going to win. And uh, you're somebody that I look up to and we're excited that's good. I'm excited for the next leg of the journey. You're a great guy. You're the best at this niche in the market that nobody's filling but you. And uh, wish you nothing but the best. Thanks for being on our show today. I'm going to throw it over to Mr. David Lally. Let's see what Dave has to say. Thanks, Brian and Ken. Always great to work with you, Mr. Coleman. And we're thrilled for you on the release of your new book. I hope you listeners enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, share it with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. These reviews let us know what content you're enjoying and helps spread the word. Here's a quick note from listener JJ Ernico. Brian is a great man with a great staff to support him. Keep up the great work, guys and gals. You're changing lives and making the world a better place one listener at a time. Thanks for that note. I'll be sure to remind Brian how amazing his staff truly is. As we finish today, I'll leave you with an Irish blessing from Brian's mum. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. <laughs>